Thank you for streaming the audio messages of the Fountain Church. Um, we've been in part, we're in part two of a series uh, that we've entitled Filled. And uh, you can see the lead is a little bit uh, highlighted on the display there because we believe that Jesus wants to lead us back to some truths. Uh, we're, we're talking about uh, navigating through this season of Lent, which is the 40 days before Easter. And we've just kind of been reconsidering our relationship with God. Um, it's a great time for prayer and fasting, uh, for reevaluation. And I believe that the Lord is going to lead us into some incredible truths on this journey. Uh, and maybe even remind us of some things to get back to. And uh, so really, really excited as we journey uh, on our way to Easter. But I, I want to talk to you for a few minutes around this idea today of it's not adding up. It's not adding up. Look at your neighbor and say, it's not calculating. Look at your other neighbor and say, it's still not adding up. Awesome. Well, let's pray together. Father, in Jesus' name, as we dive into your word, God, I pray that you would shift the atmosphere of our hearts. God, I ask that, Lord, uh, those that came in and maybe they're just a little bit weary, struggling in some areas, God, I pray that you'd refresh, that you would reveal Lord, I pray for those who are on a mountaintop that, Lord, will continue to fan into flame, God, as they um, hear uh, your voice this morning, God. I, I thank you that you meet us where we're at. We're not here to play church like we say every week. We're here to encounter you, Jesus, in a real way. And so just pray that as we open up your word, Lord, that we would never be the same, that we would leave this building differently as we go into the world and make your name famous. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Well, anybody ever uh, take an Uber? Yeah, somebody said this morning. You know, Uber is like the, the modern day taxi. It's, it's a little bit more affordable, and it's really actually, it's actually pretty cool. You, you have an app on your phone, and you click the Uber app, and you type in the address of where you want to go, and your uh, app is connecting with the Uber app, which is connecting to a bunch of drivers in the region, and so they find the closest driver to you. Select that driver. The driver picks you up. He already or she already has the address in their phone. Uh, the GPS navigation system links up right away. You don't even have to say anything. You just get in the car and you go. It's pretty awesome. Now, now I, I was thinking, could you imagine if you were in a hurry and you got into your Uber and they said, hey, listen, the app is working, but my map's aren't working. My GPS is, it's just not calculating. It's not, it's not working. I've tried. It led me on some wrong directions. I can't use it. And what if they pulled out one of these things? Some of you young people have no idea what this is. It's called a map. It, it, it's an atlas. This has all the cities in the United States and Canada and Mexico. And what you would do is if you were lost, you would pull out one of these guys and you would run some, uh, you know, some try to evaluate the, what do you, what do you call those, uh, your, your coordinates? And, and you would try to identify where you're at on the map so you could see where you're going. Now, if you're in an Uber and you're in a hurry, and, and this guy puts it on the dash, he says, don't worry. We're going to be okay. You're probably, you're probably not going to be very confident in that, especially because most of the people who Uber landed in your city by accident. 
meaning they picked up a driver or they picked up a passenger from the airport that led them from this city then to another city and then they just kept Ubering and now they're in a foreign place. They have no idea where they're going. They have no point of reference, but they have an atlas. And could you just imagine at every stoplight, like, well, I kind of think we're... We're here, and then they're pulling over, trying to figure it out. You would be frustrated. You would get out, and you would call another Uber. That's what you would do, because we have no patience for that, and we don't have time for that type of stuff. But, but the reality is, is if you were to try Ubering in the days of the Atlas, Uber would have never worked. Because just like Uber doesn't work well with GPS, without GPS, neither does life work well without the Holy Spirit. It's, it's really incredible because when I say the Holy Spirit, if you're new to church, you might be like, man, what in the world is the Holy Spirit? Well, I'm going to give you a big dose of theology real quick. We as followers of Jesus believe in one God, the triune God, God in three persons, Father, Son, and Spirit. I don't have time to go into break uh, down that incredible mystery or try or attempt to break down that incre- incredible mystery, but, but we believe in the Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. What, what's really interesting is that Jesus gives us a passage in Matthew 28 that creates great comfort for you and I. As we're sojourning through this life together. He says in Matthew 28, he says, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Spirit. It's not going to be on the screen, but just just hear me out. He says, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you. And he says, know that I'm with you always. Know that I'm with you always. Know that I'm with you always, even until the end of the age. Now, now we know that that's possible because Jesus said, listen, it's better that I go and ascend to the Father because if I go, the Comforter is going to come. The Spirit of God is going to come and indwell every single believer, everybody that puts their faith in Christ, everybody that receives Christ as their Lord and Savior. The Bible says that God will place his Spirit on the inside of you. The Holy Spirit will come to live on the inside of us and seal us to the day of redemption. That's incredible. Especially when you realize God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, God is omnipotent, omniscient, and omnipresent. Meaning all-powerful, all-knowing, present at all times, in every location. The reality of the Godhead, Father, Son, and Spirit, the reality that God living on the inside of us should blow our minds. And bring great comfort. Especially because you and I can't afford to be lost in the day that we're living in. You and I, as followers of Jesus, are not called to be lost in the world. We were once lost, but, but now we're found. We have to be careful not to lose our way. Like there's too much on the line. There's eternities on the line. People right now are headed for a Christless eternity. You and I can't afford to be distracted by, by any ridiculous things, we can't afford to, to lose our way in this world. Peter says it like this. We're actually going to go to the text now. Peter says, dear friends, I warn you as temporary residents and foreigners here, meaning you, your residence is not here but in heaven. This is not your home. You're simply sojourning. You're passing through. He said to keep away from worldly desires that wage war against your very souls. 
Peter's saying, be careful not to lose your way. Don't get lost in the world again. Like you're foreigners here. You got to make sure that you're not getting distracted. You're not losing sight. You're not making wrong turns, even though we are going to make some bad decisions and some bad choices. He says, you got to be careful. You got to pay attention. But Jesus gives us some great news. Look what Jesus tells us in John. He says it like this. He says, but the helper, speaking of the Holy Spirit, this is the amplified version, the comforter, the advocate, the intercessor, the counselor, the strengthener, our standby. The Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, in my place, to represent me and act on my behalf, he will teach you all things, and he will help you remember everything that I have told you. I don't know about you, but that gives me great comfort to know that the comforter, the advocate, the intercessor, the counselor, the strengthener, our standby, the Holy Spirit lives on the inside of me and you as followers of Jesus and will teach us all things and will cause us to remember everything that Jesus has told us. In other words, the Holy Spirit has a way of when we're, we're starting to lose our way to reroute us. And so you ever type into your GPS and then you got to go to the gas station? And then the annoying voice of that GPS continues to come up, rerouting, 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 rerouting. Make a left turn, make a right turn. And then it starts going all over the place. And you're just like, man, let me just turn this thing off. And the Holy Spirit, I'm so grateful that the Holy Spirit is not a machine or an it, but rather the third person of the eternal Godhead that's very personal and cares so deeply about us that when we are starting to move in the wrong direction, he causes us to remember things that the Lord has spoken to us. That's why it's so important we get God's word on the inside of us so the Holy Spirit has something to draw from. But he gets on the ins- he, he, he starts to, to alert us, hey, re- rerouting. Whoa. Time out. Slow down. Wrong way. Wrong way. And I'm so, so grateful for that. And I want us to just soak in the reality and the beauty of that truth. That I think so often we we lose sight of that, that we are now the temple of the Holy Spirit. That God dwells on the inside of us as followers of Jesus. Let me take you to a picture of the Hubble telescope that the Hubble telescope took, probably one of the most famous pictures. Just look at the universe for a moment. Like GPS is cool because there's satellite, right? Sees from a multiplicity of levels. But, but satellites can't touch where God is, can't touch his knowledge, his understanding, his omnipotence, his omniscience, his omnipresence. Like we, we have something so much greater than technology. But, but you look at the God who created the universe. Like how much comfort if we lived in the reality of this every single day that, that man, the God who created all things, who's all-powerful, all-knowing, all-present, now dwells on the inside of us. Like this is so amazing. Look, look what Peter says. He says, speaking of the prophets of old, he said they were told that their messages were not even for themselves but for you. And now this good news has been announced to you by those who preached in the power of the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. It is also wonderful. It is also wonderful. It is also wonderful that even the angels are eagerly watching these things happen. 
that even the angels are looking at the good news of the gospel of what Christ has done and the reality that you and I get to, to experience God with us in a way that the prophets only talked about, that the prophets longed for this day, and you and I are living in that time. Angels long to look in to this beautiful reality. You see, as followers of Jesus, if you're taking notes, we were never meant to be lost in the world, but lost in wonder. We were never meant to be lost in the world, but you and I were meant to be lost in wonder. This, this, this incredible reality of God living and dwelling on the inside of us. But I think it's a reality that we lose sight of very quickly. I think it's a reality of, 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 of something that we have to be reminded of on, on a continual basis. Because when you just pause and think about the reality of that truth, it really kind of changes the game for the day. All of a sudden, it, it puts problems in perspective. It, it, it puts priorities in perspective. It puts fears in their place. I mean, there's just, there, there's this sense of comfort that comes with that reality. You and I were never meant to be lost. As followers of Jesus, we were lost, but now we're found. We're never meant to be lost in the world, but lost in wonder of our glorious, glorious God. And that's one of the things that I love about this season of Lent. Is Lent causes us to go back and not evaluate the obvious sin in our life, but it also causes us to evaluate sinful attachments to good things that are keeping us from the ultimate thing. Let me, let me say that one more time. It's not just, the season of Lent is not just to examine just, you know, the obvious sin in our life and see, man, God, how are we living? How are we walking? Is there any idols there? But it's also a season and a time where we can evaluate sinful attachments to good things that are keeping us from the ultimate thing. And, and I think one who really understood this was the Apostle Paul. I mean, this guy was an expert in the law. That's pretty good. He was a scholar of the Old Testament. The guy had trophy after trophy after trophy when it came to achievements. Yet in all of his knowledge, he missed the whole point. He missed Jesus. In all of his wisdom, quote unquote, he missed the reality of Christ. So much so that he felt Christ was a threat to all that he had gained. He felt like Christ was, was in opposition, that, that Christ was the problem. And so he sent out to persecute the church. He sent out to wipe Christianity off the face of the mat, a map, uh, religious and zealous in his mind for the word of God while attacking God himself. Many would look at Paul's life and be like, man, this is a good dude. But we see in Paul's life there was sinful attachment to good things that were keeping him from the ultimate thing, and this is how Paul would describe it in Philippians chapter 3. He says, if someone thinks that they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Paul's like, I'm the man when it comes to comparison. He said, circumcised on the eighth day, meaning even from my childhood, I was observing the law. He said, of the people of Israel, of the, I was of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew's of Hebrews. I mean, his tribe, his ethnicity put him in a place of prominence. He says, man, in regard to the law, I was a Pharisee, meaning I was an expert 
in the law. I had it down packed. He says, as for zeal and passion, how about persecuting the church? That's how passionate I was. That I've set my heart and mind on destroying Christ and any of his believers. He says, as for righteousness based on the law, he said I was faultless. Now, Paul wasn't saying he was without sin. He was just saying that in, in their community, um, when it came to the law, when it came to uh, following ordinances, when it came to his obedience, he, out, he outbeat everybody. So he obviously he was still a man, so he sinned. But when people would look at his life, they would say, that's a blameless dude. That dude is blameless. But he goes on to say, he says, but whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. So what happens is Paul has this incredible encounter with Jesus on his way to persecute the church. And can I just tell you that one moment in God's presence can reroute your, all of your priorities. And so he encounters Jesus. The Lord flips everything upside down for Paul. Paul realized, oh, my goodness. And all of my knowledge and all of my wisdom and all of my achievements and all of my gain, I missed it. And so what happens? He says, well, now I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For whose sake I have lost all things. Now Paul said, I've lost everything for the name of Jesus. And I consider them garbage that I might gain Christ. So let me show you a picture. Paul said, man, all these things that I had gained, I had gained power, prestige, achievement, obedience, my works, man, I was the man, lots of trophies, my ethnic pride, my reputation, my success, my comfort. You got to understand, as, as a Pharisee and running into that crowd, they were living very comfortable and they were wealthy. So, so Paul, he was living that life. Nothing wrong with that. But some, there were some sinful attachments to good things that were keeping him from the ultimate thing, security. I mean, Paul had security in the community. I mean, he, had, he, was, he was doing well. And it, what's interesting is when you look at all of these things on the outside, none of them outside of religiosity apart from Christ is really sinful. I mean, there, there's nothing wrong with obedience. There's nothing wrong with doing good works. There's nothing wrong with a good reputation. There's nothing wrong with success. There's nothing wrong with comfort or finances. There's nothing wrong with those things. Those could be blessings in our life. But when there's a sinful attachment to good things that keep us from ultimate things, then what happens is blessings also have the, be, have the potential to become barriers. And we see this all throughout the narrative of Scripture where God would help his people. God would respond and deliver them. God would bless them. And then not very long after that, what did they do? They would turn away. They would get comfortable. They would get confident in and of themselves, and they would turn away from God. And so Paul was realizing that, man, all of these blessings that were really just the grace of God on my life had turned into barriers. And everything that I thought to be so profitable was keeping me from the powerful. And so, so what is it in our life that we may consider profitable, but it's keeping us from the powerful? He said, man, that I would lose Christ to gain all of these things. Then he has an encounter with Jesus, confesses Christ as Lord, and what ends up happening, the Holy Spirit indwells Paul and reroutes. Reroutes. And then Paul goes from this to this. 
He goes from losing Christ to gaining all these things to I gladly lose all of these that I might gain Jesus. The surpassing worth of knowing him. Paul said, oh, that I would just know him. You guys don't understand. I thought all of this was where it was at. I thought this was it. It was so profitable, but it was keeping me from what was so powerful. And now that I've tasted, listen, I gladly give all those things away. I consider them. I've weighed it out. I've, I've made some choices. I've considered them as garbage. The original translation is dung. And it doesn't even mean that, listen, all those things are bad. Paul just says, compared to Christ, they're nothing. They're nothing. And if those things are going to keep me from the greatest thing, then garbage to the trash, I'm going to throw them. And this is, this is I, I think, a beautiful reality for us to kind of soak in, especially in, in America. Because we, we're blessed in a lot of ways. We're not a perfect country by any means, but... We have a lot of comforts, a lot of, a lot of grace on this nation. There's, there's, you know, it's easy to get comfortable. It's easy, I think, for blessings to become barriers in many cases. And, and what I mean by this, I, I think Erin um, Stranza puts it really well in her book, Comfort Detox. She said, we, we have to pay attention because many times what God gives us as blessings, if we're not careful, turn into addictions. And she goes on to say this. She goes on to say this. She says, complacency surrounding the things we are drawn to for comfort is the wrong attitude. Like, we can't be complacent around those things. We have to evaluate. She says, we need to take careful notice of the things that comfort us and the way they may draw us away from our ultimate comforter. Like, like let, let me give you an example. So we have, we have things like food. Anybody like some good food? Come on. You guys are already thinking about it, right? Got up too late, couldn't get breakfast. Now, now you can't wait for the sermon to be done so you can go eat. Like, like food is a great thing. Food, food is a great thing. Relationships. Relationships are a gift from God. They're blessings, most of them. Right? Some of you guys are like, that's debatable. M material things that, that provide comfort. Those things are, are blessings from God. And used in the appropriate context and seen in their appropriate light can be very enjoyable. But if not in their proper context, if, they be, if we become too attached to them in a sinful, dependent way that begins to override our relationship with God, then things that we're meant to enjoy all of a sudden become a substitute for the ultimate comforter. For our ultimate comforter, for our ultimate comfort, which is the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus as our Lord. You know, when we were making the decision to come here to Fountain Church, it, it wasn't easy for me. Let me tell you why. When, when I first took a position in ministry, I left a corporate job. I was 21, and I was making good money at 21 years old. I got to travel. I, I, was, I, was, I was like a, a glorified vendor that was making a lot of money, right? And I remember when I got the invitation uh, to youth pastor, I think I was the number six choice. So just because you don't get picked first, I got picked last in sports. I got picked last in ministry. But God said, it's all right, I got you. And so 
that transition was really easy for me. I knew that God had called me into ministry. Even though I took a pay cut that year, I had my biggest year ever. And $15,000 bonus back then was a lot of money. And I remember I either had to take this position in ministry and leave my bonus or, uh, or I would stay, get my bonus, and I would de decline this position in ministry. So I jumped and I took the position, no, no questions asked. I got my buddy the job. He got my bonus and didn't even share it, man. Can you believe that? <laughs> You're shady. But it was an easy move. But then we got planted. We're at, we're at our, our, our church. We were on staff for about 12 years, there for about 15. We're rooted in relationship and community. Uh, we had a comfortable rhythms in our life when it comes to parenting, when it came to, to just our rhythm. It was so easy. I mean, don't get me wrong. There was battles that we faced. It wasn't perfect, but, but it was easy. Financially, we weren't rich, but we were comfortable. We were in a good area. We were paying cheap rent. I mean, it was just, it was easy. And then God was asking us to come here and, and, and it, was, it, it, was, it was scary because there, those comforts would, would be removed. Things weren't promised. They weren't so predictable. And I'll be honest with you, Jackie was, had way more faith than I did. For me, I was terrified. I'm like, now I got a, a wife and two kids. I don't know if this is you, God, even though I know it's you, God. And, and I did not realize that I had put so much faith in that church as my provider and not Jesus. I had become so comfortable. And what God had blessed us with had now become an idol that was keeping me from the greater. And so, so you guys think that we just came in this big step of faith. No, as we're coming to the fountain, I'm repenting for idolatry and saying, God, I don't know what you're going to do, but I'm going to jump. We're going to do this. This is going to be crazy. But that comfort almost kept me from jumping. That comfort was never meant to be worshipped. The blessing was never meant to be worshipped, but stewarded. And it went from a place of stewardship that when the master was calling to a place that I realized it was probably more worship. Because when God was calling me out, I was, I was like, no. I'm comfortable. And so... So Paul realized all this. Paul exchanged all these comforts. Why would he do that? Paul goes on to tell us. He says this. He says, well, now I'm found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. Paul was type A, T-crosser, I-daughter. Like this guy was ultimate achiever. He was good at obedience. He was good at discipline. And those two are great things. They're great things. Obedience is a great thing. Discipline is a great thing. But those blessings in Paul's life, that grace on Paul's life was keeping him from understanding and embracing the reality of the grace of God. Like Paul was striving to earn God's approval. Well, now Paul would say, yeah, I still work harder than all of you. I'm still obedient to God. But the motivation is completely different. I'm no longer moving towards uh, or working towards a, a place of approval, but rather I'm serving God from a place of, a uh, of approval. The motivation is completely different. It's no longer a righteousness that comes from my own, which was a false righteousness. It wasn't real. And it's religiously exhausting. But here's the deal. Some of you are so good at that. You're great at your devotions. You're great at checking boxes. You're great at obedience. Your life on the outside, it looks blameless. So did Paul's. 
But if you're not careful and if you're not evaluating, you can start to put more confidence in your achievement than the grace of God. You can put more confidence in you than the substitutionary work of Christ and miss out on the grace of God in your life. And eventually you're going to get religiously exhausted. And Paul's like, oh my goodness, I'm free. Not free to go and sin. This grace on my life, it, it, it puts me in a position where I want to go and I want to serve God all the more. But no longer is my confidence in myself. That was a false, sinful righteousness. It wasn't real. But now a righteousness that comes by faith from God. Paul's like, I'm basking in that place. Never, I never want to leave that spot. Never want to go back. Paul said, listen, don't miss the grace of God because you're a great achiever. Don't rob yourself. Listen, don't let that blessing become a barrier. But rather serve God from a place of approval, realizing that, man, you're just as wretched as the next person and need God's grace desperately just like we all do. There's a beauty of the good news when you realize the bad news. Paul, Paul goes on to say this. He says, I, I also want to know Christ. I, I, I want to know him. And, and this word know, it it's, comes from the word gnosto in the Greek, which in the Hebrew is translated yada, which it, it's an experiential know. Paul wasn't saying, I just want a knowledge about God. He says, no, no, I, I've got a taste and there's so much more. I want to continue to experience God in, in, in fresh ways. I want to know him at a deeper level. And Paul uses this language all throughout the epistles. He says, man, I, I, I want to know him. And I started to think, how easy if we're not careful that our comforts can keep us from experiencing God. I, I think about the blessings that God gives us. God gives us jobs, right? God, God uh, every good and perfect gift comes from above, James says. And God gives us these blessings, but all of a sudden, what, what, at one point we were so grateful and we had so much gratitude and we're thanking God for now consume our lives to such a point where we're so busy with them or with things or with that that we don't even have time to experience him anymore. Like, whoa. It's not that they're bad things. They're blessings. But we never want our blessings to become a barrier for us experiencing God on a regular basis. All right, relationships the same way. Relationships can consume us in such a way if we're not careful. Even our kids, our kids are gifts from God, but they were never meant to be idols. They were never meant to keep us from experiencing God. They were never, never meant to consume and rule our lives in an unhealthy way. Right? Relationships the same. We, oh, man, I finally got into this relationship and I was so close to God. Now I'm like, oh, we haven't talked that much. Because he's fine, and I can't get my, eye, my mind off of him or her. And you're just like, I, like relationships were never meant to keep us from experiencing God. It's blessing out of its proper context that turns into a barrier. Are you guys tracking with me? It's, it's when good things uh, take the place of the ultimate thing. We, we start to, to, to lose sight. We start to lose our way. We start to lose our wonder. And Paul's like, not me anymore. I've exchanged all that, that I might know him. He goes on to say, and he says, I also want to know the power of his resurrection. But like the power of the resurrection is probably the greatest power demonstration of all time over both this world and the spiritual realm. Because in that moment, Jesus snatched the keys of sin, of death. Death, where is your sting now? 
ultimate power over both this life and the life to come, over the physical realm and the spiritual realm. Paul said, I want to know that power. Because I knew that I did not have the power to obey the law as good as I was. I did not have the power to keep it. The law simply revealed to me that I was a sin. I want that power working in my life that I might be able to serve God with all that I am. Can I tell you, ladies and gentlemen, the enemy does not mind if you live comfortable. He just doesn't want you to live powerful. Don't let our our blessings become barriers. And God used Paul in some powerful ways. Paul said, I, I got to know this power. Paul was just in such wonder of God. I, I, I want to know you. I want to know your power. Then he goes on to say, uh, even participate in his sufferings. Now, hold on, Paul. You're going to exchange all these comforts. Like, like the first two are really cool, right? Like, yeah, yeah, and then suffering. Paul's like, yeah, man, I, I'll gladly exchange all of my previous comforts to share in his suffering. Why would you do that? You know, we talked about Navy SEALs, was it last week or a couple weeks ago? And there's something about when you go through buds together, you're suffering through so much pain and difficulty. You're, you're able to share a communion, a deep communion with, with each other that the rest of the people don't understand. That's why, you know, you, you have this idea of, even with officers, you know, when, you, when you're a part of something like that, it's kind of like you have... The military, then you have civilians. And civilians, it's really hard for them to understand this type of a life. But there's a bond. There, there's, a, there's a communion. There's a, a depth that comes around this difficulty and this suffering. And to realize that Christ knows, the, Christ knows suffering so well and can identify us with us at every level that, is, level. that is, we are suffering for him and with him. A deep communion is happening amongst us and him. And Paul said, I want to be in that spot. You hear from some of these, these people that have been persecuted for their faith. There was a, a group of um, uh, uh, missionaries, um, and I believe it was North Korea that they went to evangelize in, and they got captured. Or, no, I'm sorry, it was, it was a group of Korean missionaries that got captured by the Taliban. And they said that, man, it was so, it was just such a crazy time. Everybody thought they were going to die, but... But they were serving one another in the midst of saying, hey, I- I'm going to go first. Kill me first. And it was like, no, you got to kill me first. No, you got to. And there was just this, this communion, this death that was happening amongst them. And, and each one of them, some of them died. But the ones that came back, they all, without knowing, went to their pastor and said, hey, you ever, this may sound kind of crazy, but I-, I wish I could go back to that place. Because my connection with Jesus in that moment, I just feel like I can't recapture that. It was so deep. It was so rich in the midst of suffering. Suffering isn't something we chase after. But it's something that if it comes along the journey for the name of Christ, Paul said, give it to me. Give it to me. And then he goes on to say, and attaining, uh, he says, and to be like him in his death. Now, this is what was so fascinating to me is, is here Paul wanted the church to be wiped out. He wanted to destroy the church. And now Paul, though his life and death was not redemptive at all, meaning he had no redemptive power, he lived in the same way that our Lord did and gave his life and was willing to put everything on the line and give himself up that others might come to know this good news of Jesus. That a guy that once wanted to wipe out the church now says, I, I would gladly lay my life down to see 
one after another in the midst of horrible persecution come to know the beautiful reality, the beautiful, most incredible wonder and comfort of all time to know the glorious riches of Jesus as Lord. Paul said, I want to give my life for that, and he did. Like, man, what in the world, Paul? Paul said, man, I just, I needed to be rerouted. And the hard part was Paul had a religious facade. He looked right, but it was all wrong. There was no relationship with God. It was based on his own merit. It was based on the law. And as right as it looked, it couldn't have been more sinful. It was attachment to good things in a sinful way that was keeping him from an ultimate thing. And Paul, can, can, Paul, Paul goes on to say this later. He says in 2 Corinthians, he says, Our hearts ache, but we always have joy. We are poor, but we always give spiritual riches to others. I love this part, my favorite part. We own nothing, yet we have everything. Paul was like, this is it. We, we possess nothing, yet we have everything. How beautiful is that? Let me share with you a story as I close. Let me show you a picture. Because there's going to be moments where these things are we're, we're going to be tested in these areas where there's going to be moments where these blessings, we're going to really see if they're really blessings or barriers now in our life. And one came from, and there was a moment in time that this happened to a gentleman by the name of Thomas Nelson. Now, when the Declaration of Independence was signed, 56 signatures were on that piece of paper. The British looked at that as treason. And one of those guys was Thomas Nelson. Nelson, He was rich. He was wealthy. Matter of fact, he funded a lot of George Washington's uh, campaigns and whatever he needed as far as military stuff, he would would finance. And so as all this is unfolding in the Battle of Yorktown, the British general, um, what was his, Cornwallis, the British general, he, he occupies Nelson's home. And it, it wasn't just a divisive move, it, it was a defensive move. It wasn't just to kind of throw it in their face saying, hey, we captured territory. It was a defensive move because they knew how beloved this man was. And he knew that George Washington would not destroy this home, so we set up his headquarters in Thomas Nelson's house. And sure enough, he was right. George Washington loved Thomas Nelson and was not going to destroy this beautiful place of comfort where they had shared so many memories, where there was still so much history. And it came a moment where Thomas Nelson realized that as he looked, all the cannons were pointing everywhere except in the enemy's direction at his home. And so we went up to George Washington, and I just wonder if it was a moment That was like, man, I know it's beautiful. It's comfortable. But our liberty is far greater than this momentary comfort. So he said, man, please point it at the cannons at my home. And that thing was blown to smithereens. He was willing to sacrifice his comfort for a greater mission. Sacrifice a comfort for an ultimate comfort, not just for him, but for so many other people that we are still benefiting from to this day. And and so my, my question to you is this. 
as, as, as we wrap up, just a couple of questions. And if you're taking notes, you might want to jot this down. Are there any blessings that have become barriers in your life? Is there, has there been any sinful attachment that you cannot just at one point, if the Lord says, let go, a great test for that would be to ask yourself, what if I lost would utterly devastate me and destroy me? That would be a great place to lean in. And remember that blessings were never meant to be worshipped. They were meant to be stewarded. And as God gives, we put it right back in the Lord's hands saying, God, I'm still, you're my Lord. Not these things, not these comforts, not these, it's, it's you. And as hard as that is to grasp sometimes, I think we, we really have to lean in to, to that reality. And then the second question is this, are you lost in wonder or have you lost your wonder? Of this beautiful reality that Christ lives on the inside of us. 